Here's what I love about technology. If you have something to say, if you think you have a show inside of you, guess what? You can. Let me tell you about a little something called Anchor. First of all, it's free. Uh, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are basically endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app. Let me say it again. It's a free Anchor app. Or go to anchor.fm to get started. What are you waiting for? It's awesome. I will be in Alaska June 16th and 17th. Why does it say 18th? June 16th and 17th. Um, does it say 18th? It says 16th. No. So June 16th and 17th. I don't know where the 17th date is yet. But it's going to be there. Then I'm going to be in San Diego uh, at, at 420 at the uh, American Comedy Company with Eddie Bravo. Then we will be in Dallas, Ju July 30th. And then Oklahoma, July 30th, uh, two shows, one and seven. Then at one at... Um, one at 9.30, I believe. And then July 31st, we're in Oklahoma at a 4 p.m. show again. When people ask, is everything a conspiracy? The answer is yes. Who and what is controlling everything and why? They, they practice sorcery. I can't argue against magic. <laughs> I don't know what it is that we live on, but I believe it's a realm. This realm that we live in is the lowest level of heaven, highest level of hell. Chicken snake gods and the Anunnaki and sorcery. If Sam says the chicken snake god is running everything, I'm literally in the world of crazy. <laughs> I'm winning. <laughs> You're losing. Conspiracy Social Club, aka Deep Waters. Deep Waters. Deep Waters. Deep Waters. Deep Waters. The great Steve Byrne, filmmaker, well. director. If you if you um had a nickname, do you have a nickname? Because I know you're well. First of all, your your father's Caucasian, your mother's Asian makes mm -hmm. you Caucasian. Caucasian. Hello. Caucasian. So it's a Caucasian. It. It's a Caucasian <laughs> fucking podcast right now. Now, uh, if you had a nickname, if you were a fighter, oh well. First of all, well, do they do they call you anything on the set when you're directing? When no, you're, it's always Steve or um. Mr. Byrne? For some reason, the only other person that doesn't call me Steve is Vince Vaughn. He calls me Stephen Joseph Byrne. He calls me my whole name. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Steve, because Vince talks really quickly. Stephen Joseph Byrne. Yeah. yeah. Stephen Joseph Byrne. Yeah. I like that very much. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Stephen Joseph Byrne. That's your middle name is Joseph, but named after my grandfather. Okay. Not Jesus, his father. <laughs> no, no. Okay. I don't know. No, no. Definitely not. Definitely, I filled woodshop, so definitely not. You did? Yeah. You do, you're not, not, you're not a, a man carpenter. who works with his hands? Only in the bedroom, Brad. Damn, <laughs> motherfuckers. You heard that here first. So they don't call you maestro on set? <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck no, no. Uh, I, I guess I was, I was my, my buddy Dave Bolin, who plays for the 
played for the Chicago Blackhawks. You know Dave Bowen. You know Dave. Yeah, I've hung out with him. I hung out with he and and his hockey friends, and I've never felt more. That's a night out. I was producing estrogen the whole time. They're real men. They're, They're with real men. Big yeah. hands. Yeah. And and but Dave looks normal. But Dave looks normal. Yeah. The fucking some of those hockey players, they, like I don't give a shit how many black belts you have. I don't care what kind of. You, those are pro athletes, and they will beat you up. You're not hurting them. They were no. just scary. They got started getting drunk, and they were great, but you don't know if they're going to hug you or kiss you. Yeah, Ty Domi. Do you know Ty Domi? I mean, uh-huh. one of the greatest enforcers of the 80s and uh-huh. into the 90s. Um, after one of his fights against Probert, I, I think he, he was doing like this in Madison Square Garden as a ranger. The place went crazy. He's notorious. I mean, you could you could go down a rabbit hole watching Ty Domi uh, fist fights. And he, I did Lemieux's fantasy camp, Mario Lemieux's fantasy camp with Bill Burr. We did a show for them. And we're watching one of the Penguin games up in the box. And Ty Domi, I'm like, I'm asking him a thousand questions a minute. And there he is right there. I mean, just a badass. Yeah. He's five foot nothing. And he would take down anybody. Oh, so he was a short guy. I always thought he was big. Very short guy. Very stout. Thick. Thick, he's like a fire plug, and yeah. he he goes he goes. So Steve, this he, is how he you looks fight. Every bit of fifty three years old. He'd man. grab the back in his twenties. He looked like an old. He'd grab the back of my shirt and he cocked his fist. And he's like, "This is what you do," and he just wrap it. I'm like, "Ty, we don't have to be doing this. We don't have to be doing this tutorial. It's fine." And when he pulled my shirt and he had his fist and he cocked, I'm looking at Ty Dome. I'm like, "This is these. It's like looking in the eyes of a great white shark." Yeah, yeah. And you got to flip it upside down so it's in shock. A man pit bull. Yeah. A man pit bull. Yeah. Look at him. He fought somebody in Philadelphia. They were, they were giving him shit in the penalty box. He The guy fell into the penalty box. Ty Domi started beating the shit out of him. He, he looks Look like, at him. So he just he was just always fighting. <laughs> always. He was the enforcer, yeah. Good God. Notorious. There he is right there. See him with the, with the he's doing the belt right there? Yeah. In that second row? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's not, he's, not a, he's not a big guy. He's very thick, though. Very thick. And his son, Max, is an amazing player now. Uh, you know, different different kind of player. That, that's him versus. Uh, so I watched a hockey game for the first time. I watched live? the. I watched the. I think it's the Penguins. It was. It was. It was. It was whoever. It was for the to get into the Stanley Cup, the finals. It yep. was so fuck. It was so exciting. It's it was the best sport. It was live. the Rangers versus whoever they played for the. I'm an idiot. I don't know. Yeah. But I was. I was. I'm a hockey fan. It's I was, the greatest. I love that sport. And when you're on the ice and you're flying around the ice, and I just missed the the sound of my blade cutting into the ice. Well, you did figure skating though. You didn't have. True. Yeah. Yeah. My name. You have a great lower body. I've always said that about you. Well, you have a like, you have a figure skater's lower body, and that's fair. And that's fair. That. <laughs> and he's wearing tights, but you can't see underneath. I'm prepared at any moment for an ice rink to just be like, we need somebody to do a triple axel. It's like, uh, I've been waiting for hunk, hink. Yep, yeah. hunk, hink. Cue the music. And then you do it even on even on cement. I've seen you do a triple axel. <laughs> and, fuck yeah. you. You know, you did that. You did that in front. I don't know if you remember this. The first night I met you at the Comic Strip Live in New York City, I was out for a night on the town with this gorgeous stripper. Mm. You couldn't miss her in the room. She's very beautiful, but stripper, statuesque. We go outside, she and I, she's having a cigarette. You walk up to do your set. You see her. You ignore me. Yeah, I do not I exist. Uh-huh. I'm like, who the fuck you is this guy? You're, You're talking spore. to You're her. You're a mushroom. It doesn't you matter. are a fucking peacock. <laughs> the, the feathers go out. Yep. You start pirouetting in front of her because you hear she's a dancer and you start pirouetting. Well, I was fresh out of, probably fresh out of theater school where I studied dance and I could do four pirouettes. Four pirouettes <laughs> and spot properly. Keep going. But then you go, 
You go, I'm about to go on stage. Do you want to come watch me? I go, she just watched me. I'm Steve Byrne. I'm a comedian too. You go, Brian Callen, good to meet you. And you walked right in and ignored me. The next time I saw you was at Beecher's Madhouse and you were hosting. I go, do you fucking remember me? Do you know we've met before? And you're like, no, when do we meet? I'm like, you fucking hit on my girl. And I was fucking, I was so blown away at the sheer confidence you had, I thought it was one of the funniest, coolest things <laughs> I had I ever get seen. In the face. No, I would never do. I, I was just, I was kind of like in awe, like this motherfucker is just going to ignore me. <laughs> but he, this is crazy. You know, though, but when I, I swear to God, my <laughs> mindset in those situations, I swear to God, is not to pick up that girl. It's to put on a show. Like I'm, I'm about to go on stage. So there's yeah. a, I got an, I got an audience. That girl, guy. I'm going to do a pirouette. You want to come and watch? All right, I'll see you later. But for me, it's like you're a stop along the way. And when I hear these stories- I was a speed bump. I, yeah, when I hear these stories, I always think back and I'm always like, well, that was clearly me hyped up, excited to get on stage. Oh, look, an audience, two people. <laughs> Never going to see him again. Here I go. There he goes. He's off to the races. I was completely, I was fucking laughing. I think it was one of those things where like, as a guy, you sit there and go, do I have to hit this guy? Like, I don't, I, I, but I, I, I'm not that, I, I don't jump to conclusions that quick. I was just like, this is fucking hilarious. I did pirouettes. You did pirouettes. When you did the pirouette, yeah, I, he, I he was fucking punch laughing. You a guy in the face who does pirouettes. You, I was, I was laughing. And the next time I saw you, I brought it up to you. And I, I was just like, you are so fucking hilarious. And we just hit it off right then and there. And that, that's when I, we became I, friends. I think if you're going to hit on a guy, guy's gal, if you do it by doing ballet, <laughs> I don't think that's, that's just, there's no way the guy can punch you. There's no way, you're not competing with that, but you're also not, you're also just hard, it's hard to be mad at, it's hard to beat up the ballet dancer. Cause I did ballet at your girl, clearly. But I also know that ballet guys are fucking shredded. It's like when you, when you're driving and a, and a guy on a 10 speed cuts you off, it's like, don't fight that guy. Right. He's got the wind. He's you're going to lose. He's got the wind. He's got He'll the wind. take you into the fourth, fifth, sixth round. That's right. Unless you've got a heart of a lion like i do unless you got the heart of a lion uh you're not you're not keeping up now if you got the heart right. of a lion you don't need cardio right True. fatigue makes cowards of us all yeah. unless you got heart of a lion you know what i'm saying bro yes you i know do what the fuck i'm saying i can't relate but i know what you're and there's a picture of me right there that's you there's, that's you and there i great, i think right you were a little hercules i i, I hit me i i reached uh, I, I hit puberty at, in sixth grade so that was in seventh and that i think it was actually eighth grade but you can see my reach i always had astounding reach and the, the word astounding is what my i'm glad teacher. you brought up heart of line because you forgot the other tangent people always say it starts that's that's the end of the song Spirit of a dolphin is what people always said. You know, Brian Callen has the spirit of the dolphin yeah. and the heart of a lion. Yeah, I have a carefree spirit and I have the kind of spirit that you can ride on. You can ride on through the grab biggest, my, through the biggest grab waves. Grab my flipper grab and my enjoy flipper. the ride. <laughs> grab my flipper and isn't that what I always say? Grab my flipper, enjoy the enjoy ride. Enjoy the ride, baby. Here That's it right. goes. No matter, how, no matter how choppy the water, and they're choppy right now, you grab my flip, grab my flipper, enjoy the ride. <laughs> So I'm a man dolphin. Uh, spirit of a dolphin. <laughs> a man dolphin, a that's right, yeah. Spirit of a dolphin. That, by the way, the, the name, the you you captioned this, Chin. Mm -hmm. Spirit of a dolphin, heart of a lion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a good mood because I watched your movie. Thank you for watching it. And uh, a lot of times when you watch your friend's movie, one, one of the hardest things on the planet is to write and direct a movie. It might be the hardest. The architecture, the structure. Okay. You got Bill Burr, you got Ken Jeong killing it. Yep. You've got the star of the movie um, from uh, Silicon Valley. Jimmy O. Yang. Jimmy O. Yang. 
He's got his Netflix special. Outstanding. I mean, you've got Cedric the Entertainer is a great fucking actor. Unbelievable. And that monologue he gives him at the end. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to give it away, but there's, you know, it, it for me, it was traumatizing because it brought me back to stand-up in the beginning. The kind of It's so fucking funny you say that because mm. every comic that's seen it that's been in the film, we haven't shown too many people the film, obviously, but the comics, Burr, Segura, Brennan, it's like you could you could write the script and send it to me and they all say loved it so authentic brought back all the all the traumatizing events from early on in my career. If it you want to know yeah, if you want to know what it's like to be a real comic, if you want to know the journey what it takes and just the shit like that true story about I know that's a true story about that cop. All of it happened. It was a marine. It was a marine. It was a marine in real life, but yeah, yeah everything not, that happened from scary. The condos to the radio to everything. Finding yourself happened. in a strange place in a car with somebody you don't know. It's like all those situations on the road. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was in, I remember it, it brought me back. I was in Edmonton and I ended up getting sort of annexed, sort of taken, I, these giant Serbs. Yeah. It was a gang. Yeah. It was a gang. I was with these two other people. And I said, one of the girls who was dating, I think one of the guys, huge guys, yeah. all taller than me. Shark eyes, mm -hmm. tatted out of their minds. You're coming with us. You're coming. We're going to show you the great time we have. You know, that's a terrible <laughs> Serb accent, but fuck it. You know, hey, it's great. We want I, the men dolphin. I'm not gonna. You're not gonna touch your your wallet, man. We're gonna have a great. Uh. So I'm like, oh fuck, I don't know, Eddie, fucking Eddie. You know, it was when it was, and they, I end up in a house. I remember the 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 pit bull. This is a weird story. I the, there's a pit bull that is going. Oh, 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 look like a like a lion dog yeah. and the guy goes, oh let me get it he pulls this dog back the dog was clearly trying to get at me the dog's in the back somewhere going crazy and it's the first time i've ever walked into a place and i saw a man shaving blow off a brick it was a brick oh. with straws and i went oh and then there was molly it was a drug party but oh. the guy with shark eyes with a neck about the size of your waist yeah and he was also from serbia or somewhere <laughs> slavic yeah shaving off a brick, and I'm watching these people do just all the drugs, and then I find a dog. A dog wanders up to the thing, and I, I'm like, this dog is lost. It was a little border collie. Yeah. And people are, the dog, you can hear the fucking pit bull, and my oh, friend, Jesus. the guy, the, the serve guy goes, you can't let him, in, let him in, because my dog will kill him, you know, it's no good. So I go, well, I got this dog. So long story short, I end up taking that dog and trying to find its owner. I'm driving around in some neighborhood, I don't know, in Edmonton, <laughs> in a rental car. I don't have GPS, right. so I'm lost. And I'm looking for the dog's owner. And um, I let the dog, I, I opened the door, and I, and I, and I, there was a light on, on a porch. Right. And the dog got out and ran away, and I didn't see it. And then I went looking for the, long story short, those guys, yeah. who I ran into the girl who was dating one of the guys, I think in like, uh, you know, fucking Montreal. Yeah. And she said, oh yeah, they all got busted. They're all doing 12 years in jail. Jesus Christ. It was a gang. Anyway, long story short, you find yourself in weird positions when you're on the road. Yep. In the middle of nowhere, in a cocaine party <laughs> with criminals. That's right, And that right, can yeah. happen if you're trying to be everybody's friend. Yeah, look, you're on the road, you're by yourself, and some nights you get bit by the bug. Obviously, when you're younger, You'll take that bait. You're like, you guys are going out. I'll go out with you. That's right. Uh, as you get older, those adventures happen less and less, yeah. I think. Um, but certainly, I took the best stories that happened to me 
over the years and people go watch this film and go there's no way that happened it's like oh it fucking happened oh, it happened it happened in raleigh north carolina under yeah. the trailer that's uh, what happened. I, I can tell you that all the stories are true because you you told me yeah. you told them to me when they happened so i'm watching this yeah. going fuck this is this is <laughs> in so real time yeah biographical yeah because, because also like one of the things that dove and i used to talk about is that and what I, one of the things i think the movie captures really well is the isolation it's yeah. isolating when you're a stand-up comic you have to find your way like through the maze yeah y you either come up it's 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 such a an, an honest art form because you either have the goods and people laugh or you fucking don't yeah and nobody is there to help you out you gotta write be uncomfortable i i said this in this thing the only way to be really good at stand-up is to suck for a long time yeah it's unless a you're me and i was funny immediately but that <laughs> but i'm not i'm not who this movie's about guys <laughs> i'm not who this movie's about um, yeah, it's yeah. a profession of solitude. You're always by yourself. Yep. Constantly by yourself. And it is a absolute profession of failure. Nine out of 10 jokes don't work that you write. Yep. One out of 10 is going to work. So you're constantly being told no. And that's why the, the, the information or the knowledge that Cedric's character bestows Jimmy in those diner scenes, those are all conversations I had when I was a younger comic and the conversations I now have as a veteran headliner to younger comics oh, yeah. when we go out to lunch and we go out and they ask you, how'd you get started? Where'd you start? How's, how do you do it? It's just like, it's just like from now on, any comic that comes up to me when I work with them and they're the MC, I, they go, how do you, here's the movie. That's it. Yeah. It's everything you it's need to know. It's called the opening Take act. Yeah. Did Vince Vaughn produce this? Vince Vaughn produced Peter it. There he is right there. Peter Billingsley was hands-on. He was producer. There's Bill Peter's Burr so back there. Uh, when we did the uh, Vince Vaughn Wild West comedy show. Wow. Wow. That was when Bill Burr was, was no he knew Bill Burr. He had, <laughs> he had hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I was really blown away with how good the movie was. I really Thank was. you. Yeah. Opening act, it is available, I think, pre-order right now, but it comes out Friday, October 16th, and it is... Where does it come out? Uh, iTunes, Amazon, all that stuff, and it literally is a comic's first time ever on the road at a professional club. And when I sat down to write it, I was like, I want to write, there's a handful of films that are out there about stand-up, but none of them are solely dedicated strictly to stand-up comedy. That's it. Mm. And I wanted it to be about stand-up. I wanted to write a great film about stand-up. And I didn't want to write a film about a 50-year-old driving home from Vegas. I want to write a film about a 20-year-old going to Vegas for the first time. Yeah. That to me. But you do a great job with, with showing the, the, sort of the, the beginning and the end, like Cedric the Entertainer is at the end. Yeah, you know he's he's he was so good. Oh, he's he's he's, great. he's such a real comic, but also such a real person and such a good actor. I I, I was blown away with how I mean it's, it's subtle shit that he did. Yeah, but goddamn, he was good. He was great. You know when when you look, you've been in, in this industry for such a long time, but when you cast the film, right, you're th throwing a bunch bunch of plinko chips and you see where they all land, and you hope they land in the ten thousand dollar spot. Yeah. Um, with the casting, it could have gone one way or the other, but I think we hit 10 grand every time with Jimmy, oh, yeah. Alex, and Cedric, the three foundation characters well, throughout the course Ken of the film. Also, Ken Jung is, is so good. Ken's great, yeah. I mean, everybody was Because everybody's got that supportive friend when you're starting off, and all of us got breaks because of our network of friends, like, hey, man, I got this gig, or hey, can you do this thing this weekend? And that's how you get a lot of the gigs at the beginning yeah. of your career. And when Ken calls him, Again, not a lot of great film about, uh, films about stand-up, but Tom Hanks and Punchline was so fucking good. That last scene where he breaks down 
and cries yeah. in front of his father yeah. and then pivots into having a great set and ends up getting the late night talk show. It's one of the best scenes I've ever seen in cinema. And so I, I wanted to acknowledge his performance in some form or fashion. So when Ken Jeong calls him and says, hey, man, I got this gig open in Detroit uh, for uh, Stephen Gold. So can you do Pennsylvania Improv? Stephen Gold is the name of Tom Hanks's character. So I was trying to acknowledge in some form or fashion what still people consider the best film about stand-up. I was like, well, it's time to uh, update. Give a little, a little homage. Yes. Yeah, man. You know, I, I was thinking about this when I was watching the film too. And comedy is such an exclusive fraternity. There are very few people like yourself who are headliners with five hours of material yeah. that have been doing it this long that always like are as good as you are and and I, I i i think that i realized about a year ago i admitted to myself that i was i was a comic and only a comic in other words i've never been on a set a right. movie set or a tv set where i didn't want it to be over wow really yeah. I, I, yes. it's always been work to you yes so that's the job i've never liked acting the huh. only time i've loved acting is on stage and I, when I got away from doing plays and even scenes and one acts and the things I used to write, um, that was that was the only time I loved it. I have never, I've never really probably said this like in public, but I have never been on a set, no matter where I was, where I didn't want to be offset. Wow, ever. And I, I think, never would have thought of that. Yeah, and the only reason I liked being enough on about set Sullivan was and Son. Can we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the only time the only time but I, it was the only time like like um I, what i loved about being on set was i'd be with my friends and i mm. could be a silly goose yeah right but there's nothing like being on stage doing i i think comics are a very i i really do think in some ways you're born a comic i think or you're made a comic i think your your life has to be this strange this strange fucking uh confluence of chaos trauma and isolation <laughs> right it's true it's i mean true, you, buddy. you know seriously like when yeah. you, you kind of capture that in the movie too when you're watching this kid mm -hmm. with his dad watch all these comics yeah. what is it about that kid that said i want to do this you know i want to do this i yeah. don't want to just be selling insurance i want to be yeah the uh, subtext of that different. is that he's watching some people bond with their father watching baseball or football and this kid bonded uh, with his father over the years watching stand-up comedy. And the subtext, if you read into it deep enough, is that the father's an immigrant probably learning English from stand-up comedy. Yeah. And that was what we were oh, kind of great. subliminally saying. And so Jimmy and his father bonded over it. And so it's always been part of the bedrock. And his father, unfortunately, passes away. And he's thinking subconsciously, I got to take my pain and do something with it. And why not go to the one thing that my father and I bonded over? And so it's but it was kind of in his pain? DNA. Because you, the, the, I mean... I identity also, is mine. Your identity? Yeah. Because you're the you're the to me you're the most in in many ways you're the most decent human being I've ever fucking met in my life. I've always thought you're the best guy in comedy as far as a human being, and also oh by the way hilarious. But you know people should know Steve. Steve's brother was in the military for a long time. Steve took Steve went to Afghanistan. He's the guy who brought me and Sam Tripoli and Dove Davidoff to Afghanistan. That One was the, the craziest, funnest. Oh, dude! US and it was such an that, honor, yeah. and it was the most emotional trip of my life. I mean, yeah. going through that hospital and seeing that kid with no legs, and yeah. we saw a lot of shit. But I've never. I, I that was that was a bit life changing, you know. And and you were always trying to go to these forward operating bases. You were always fucking pushing to go to afghanistan until it got too dangerous i remember we weren't allowed to go again yeah there was one or two shows but yeah i mean once i was exposed to that first time with colin quinn and robert kelly um you take 
so much for granted. Once I came back from the first one in 2004, which is the height of the Iraq war, I'm like, I'll never bitch about anything again. No, I never again. I never fucking never bitch about again. anything again. That's right. I told you this story when I, after we came back and the suicide bombings, we'd be briefed in the morning, remember? And and then I, I, I remember just seeing just these these men and women just going through this crazy shit, the hospital. Yeah. And I, I came back, I'd flown, I, I came back on Lufthansa first class or business, thank you very much. And then um, I, I'm, I'm thinking about just the, the mess that is Kandahar. Mm -hmm. Remember when we were diverted and they put those four pine boxes at our feet? I don't know if you remember that. These, these yeah. 19, four 19 year old Marines had lost their lives. Mm -hmm. And dude, I, I was, you know, the, the amount of like, I just keeping my, my emotions in, you know, watching that, that flag at half mast. And I'm sitting in a restaurant in LA thinking about just how lucky I am. And, and the, the waiter comes over and apologizes that they don't have the lamb, that they ran out <laughs> yeah. of the braised lamb. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I made a scene and I had him fired, but <laughs> yeah, because you should have lamb. I, you should have that's my right, braised yeah. lamb because that's not cool. But it was a fucking, uh, it was such an eye opener. But the point I'm making is that you, you may have trauma, but you, you are not a selfish. A lot of comics are radically selfish. They're I learned that over the course isolated. of last year. That's you're, for sure. Oh, they're yeah. so selfish, but you're not, you've always been so giving and, and, but, but talk to me about your trauma. Like, because a lot of times most comics, they have trauma and it just causes them to fold in on themselves yeah. and they don't, they, they don't have the capacity to give to other people. They just get radically selfish. It's almost like, it's almost like a, a trait among comics. A lot of times it's yeah. not even a bad thing. It's maybe, it, but you have avoided that. And so identity was your identity was mine. I look, I think it's, uh, it's natural that all comics have something that made them want to do this. It's as natural as, you know, your heart rate and telling the truth, right? You mm -hmm. are, we are wired to tell the truth. If you lie, your heart rate will spike. So it's as natural as that. If you suffered something or have some issues subconsciously that you need to exhibit or some form or fashion and address it, even though your career might start off talking about one thing, you're ultimately going to drive towards your voice. And what is your voice? Your voice is whatever's inside that you feel the need to exhibit in a public manner, whether it be cathartic or whatever it is. Um, and mine was identity, surely. Well, I moved at a point in my age when I was nine or 10, where you're developing, and I moved from Jersey to Pittsburgh. And that's where my sense of humor stemmed from. I'm not the best looking guy. I'm not yes, the most are. athletic. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Keep going. My, my making Speak kids laugh got me through those early years, you know? And, um, and I've wrestled with my identity. I, some of the most racist things I've ever been called in my life have been from other Asians that, you know, when Sullivan and Son was on the air, for example, they're like, I was like, I wonder why this film, uh, this, this show, I'm the second Asian American sitcom to ever be on the air and no late night talk shows. Is that will have true? Us on. Is that true? Yeah. Huh. After Margaret's and nobody, no interviews, no nothing. And I reached out to some people uh, on the Asian side of getting the diversity acknowledgement from Asians. They're like, well, cause you're not Asian. I was like, what are you talking about? Oh. And the one guy's the one guy. I won't name who he is, but he's like, "Yeah, you're you're not Asian. That's why Asians don't look at you as being Asian because you're Korean and Irish." And that Jesus happened Christ. to me the third season of my show, and that hurt me more than anything I've ever been called in my life. And it's it stayed with me. And and I've always felt that way. You when you when you're a mix, you 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 don't belong to a tribe, okay? Because I know Asians. There's Asians that don't consider me Asian. There's Irish that don't consider me Irish. And during this whole racial tension with black and white and cops and all this shit, I'm like, I don't have a fucking tribe. So I'm not going to hunker down. 
and be this. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be on the side of this just because the, the Look, progressive man, we, agenda we, says we, that. We live in a, yeah. My tribe is this, and I've stated it from the beginning of my career to the till the end of my career, whenever that happens. Two of my specials have had uh, an American flag or an acknowledgement of patriotism. My tribe is an American. I am solely an American, and I think if more people thought of it that way under the banner of a flag as opposed to i'm going to hunker down and it's us versus us it's like no it's all of us that's my mindset if you're mixed dude right exactly we're a mixed bag if you're black lives matter and you burn the flag no take the flag carry the torch and make it your own make it even better and i'll get behind that but the minute you burn it i'm fucking out i'm out because you're getting tribal yeah you're getting under the banner of one flag one nation e pluribus unum out of many one that's it. Adam I go by that. That's, that. that's the best way to put it. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I could not fucking agree more because what ha- what's happening in Hollywood too is I know somebody who played a Native American and she was she was not fully Native American. Right. She's a mix of a lot of things, but she does have a lot of. Mi- and there were Native American actors, uh, or so they so they were claiming to be. I'm sure they had. They weren't. Are we no driving towards to- Elizabeth Warren? We sure are. Her uh, Indian fo- name is fo- Running Mate. Fo- do you know that? <laughs> but but the, no, this this woman got so much shit mm-hmm. from certain elements of the Native American community for not being of that tribe, for not being pure enough. And we're dealing with this all the time. All and, the time. And, and man, if you're an actor or you're an artist, uh, you've got quotas now. You've got if you're if you want your movie in fucking if you want your movie in the Oscars now, they're gonna have there's gonna be a diversity audit to mm-hmm. make sure that the people behind yeah. the scenes and on camera. Are, are represented and they all have to be m- marginalized of some kind. We are getting so fucking crazy with this that it's actually getting in the way of art and it's and of course art's gonna suffer because art as Bill Mars said, you can't have a to-do list. It's hard enough making a movie. <laughs> the, the movie has to come from what you said, this inside truth. You're writing a story sure. and it's based on your experience. Your experience might be growing up in Pittsburgh. Guess what? A lot of the people might be Eastern European descent or they might be white or, but whatever it is mm-hmm. there's no way for you to just plug and play you can't put in a guy who's got a limp and a, and a woman who's got lupus and black and what the sure. fuck are we talking about here man I need the best actors yes, I, need, right. I need whoever is going to represent the story that's inside of me that's, that represents my experience otherwise you know you're otherwise you're talking about censorship you dumb fucks and this country is great and art only flourishes when there's zero censorship, when there's zero agenda, including a diversity agenda. Yeah, it's gotten so out of hand. Here's an example of how diversity and the progressive values that are being instituted in Hollywood. Forced in, not instituted. Forced, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A shoehorned in, no lube. Gave me the, op- <laughs> Sorry. gave me the optics. Even when we were casting this film, okay? Sam, I want to talk to you about murdering your thirst. Yeah. I want to talk to you about liquid death. Oh, I the, love it. It's the water that comes in a can. Because if you like polluting the oceans with plastic and killing, I don't know, sea turtles and other wildlife, keep drinking your water out of a plastic bottle. I feel awful about it. Good. So then liquid death comes in a can. Sparkling water. And it doesn't come from the ground. It comes from the Alps. You know where the Alps are? Yeah. That place where the best water comes from. That's right, dude. The Alps are a mountain range. Yeah. Okay. In France and Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. And Austria. Yeah. And it is pristine up there. Yeah. I mean, best water ever. Best water ever. You see I, the Yelp reviews on that. Oh, dude, I've skied the Alps. Oh, snap. Yeah. And, and, and I would go up to those, 
I'd go up to those estuaries, those rivers up there. Yeah. And I would I would thaw them out with a hand. Would hair you dryer. drink with your hands? Yes, I would. Yeah. Yes, I would. I have a feeling you drink water like Bambi just uh, well, if you like liquid death and you like a mineral profile, I do. Keep, yeah, if you want to feel like you're in the Alps, yeah. you know what I mean. If you like purity, yeah. If you like clarity, yeah. If you like water that is in its natural state from the mountains, yes. Because when I yodel, yodel, yeah, hee hoo, yes, I get super parched. I put up there. all that in my Tinder profile. You should, because you're a yodeler. Yeah. But when I get when I get parched from yodeling in Switzerland, yeah, I like I, I I like to drink the water from the Alps. But I'm not always in Switzerland. But Liquid Death, when I pop that can, yeah, and I drink that that water from the Alps, yeah. Here's the good news, you guys. You can order Liquid Death and get it delivered to your door. Your or, house, or or yeah, you can go to Seven Eleven. Oh, or you can go to Whole Foods. Damn. And you can get yourself all the liquid death, the that beautiful Alps water with it's a full mineral profile, aka electrolytes that murders your thirst. Oh my God! Water from the Alps with electrolytes instantly. My nipples are hard and doesn't pollute the environment. Oh my God! The turtles will thank you. Thank I'm you. afraid to leave my house, but thanks to liquid death i don't have to live my house i can stay home drink water from a can and feel like i'm living in the alps and by the way dude sometimes the water isn't just for the inside of your body maybe pour it on yourself oh yeah because i don't know about you but i look super good wet yeah right dude have you ever yodeled on your balcony in the alley where you live it's living i know it is dude and sometimes when i drink my liquid death I'm, i find myself going Yo, yeah because it tastes like the Alps. Yeah, when I make love and we call it halftime, yeah, we di- we both get a, a a thing of liquid death and we drink and then we go back at it and I feel with the electrolytes. Yeah, I bring the hammer. Oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah, believe me. Yeah. You want to up your love life? <laughs> electrolytes. When you if you're dry inside. Yeah. You, they did tests with people who didn't drink any water. Yeah. For three days and yeah. they died. And then they do tests with people who drank nothing but liquid death and had, you know, good meals. And those people thrived. So that's science. Just to let you know, when my daughters were born, I baptized them with liquid death. I was like, <laughs> and that's why their names are Ghost and Ninja. Yeah, there you go. So that's putting your money where your where your child's it, future is. Yeah. Where your child's spiritual future is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, liquid death. Thank you, Liquid Death. We love you. And by the way, order a case, get two free koozies. Because if you're drinking without a koozie, well, then that can could slip out your hand. You need some traction. Koozies. Liquid Death koozies. God bless you. Now, you know, Brian, when you're casting, you, you throw spaghetti on the wall, you see what sticks. And I said, look, if we cast a white guy to play the headliner, let's say it's another white guy to play the MC. You got to have some diversity on that poster in the three main leads, right? And I'm, I told them, I go, you cannot, cannot cast a black character to be the feature act in this film, Chris Palmer. Because the minute you cast a black actor, somebody that sits in a fucking cubicle at the Huffington Post is going to go, oh, so all black comics are just out there to party and bang ass? It's like, no. Why are you reading the tea leaves that way? The casting process is just, it is what it is. You want the best person for the job. And thank God we got it. 
But the optics of that could have been construed one way by a certain people with certain agendas. And Dude, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. It's stand nauseating. Stand-up stand is the only place in many ways that is such a true meritocracy. Mm -hmm. It just is. You're either funny or you're not. And if yeah. you have any doubts, let's just see what the audience has to say. I don't give a fuck what your point of view is, but like it, it is no one in, I've been in this business, I don't know how long, you two. No one in the fucking business is going into a green room at the comedy store or anywhere and going, uh, uh, black guys are over here. We don't talk that no. way. We are, if you're, if you're Donnell Rawlings, I don't look at you as black. I look at you as a, a fellow comic who's got talent and, and we share a similar experience. The bond is based on history, a similar yeah. experience. He may have a very different perspective on the world, being black and all that, yes. But no one there, when you're a comic, you're there as comics. Yeah. There, there's something so bonding about that because you all go through a similar experience. You had to earn your fucking right to be on that stage. You we are to. all salmon that have swum upstream yeah. to the breeding ground and we made it. We got to the pool. And that, that is why comics at the end of the day, we have respect for each other because we have that shared experience. And this film is that shared experience. It really is. Because when comics watch it, they'll go, I didn't end up underneath a trailer in North Carolina, but I'll tell you this. Yeah. And everybody's got those stories. Oh, fuck yeah. And I completely agree with you. We, we, it is, this is a fraternity house or a sorority house or whatever you, you want to consider it, but it is a place where you've got to earn the right to get on that stage, whether yeah. it's the Hollywood improv or the comedy store. These, once you pass that threshold, it's like you're standing in the hallway, you're going to bullshit with anybody because you know that shared experience. Of course. Well, it's also funny too, because I was thinking when I saw Up in the Air, it's a movie I love, George Clooney, and he's he's got he hits the million mile mark. He's mm -hmm. been he's been flying. He's got a million miles, and they do a party for him. And the the Sam Elliott, who's the uh, the pilot, looks at him and and he's looking at his accomplishment. He's flown mm -hmm. a million miles, and in fact, he's an insurance claims adjuster or some mm -hmm. shit. And uh, Sam Elliott says, "Where are you from?" And he goes, "Up here." Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even look at him. He just goes, "Up here." Yeah. And I was like, that's how you feel as a comic sometimes. Oh, yeah. Where are you from? The road. Yeah. Where are you from? You know, stage. Yeah. Like, it becomes your home and nothing. It's really hard to compete with that. It is because I get my work done on the road. I know. I wrote this film on the road. I wrote this film in hotels all across this country. I refined this um this film, the script, the script in hotels all across the country. So there's an inspiration. There's a part of me that's like, I can't wait to go on the road, get to the hotel, get my stuff situated, put my speaker over there, turn my laptop on, and just get busy. I, I yeah. really, really love it. I love the solitude, but at times it is wearing. And at my age, at twenty in twenty three years of doing this, I fucking hate everything about stand up comedy except for the performance. How old are you? Uh, Forty six. You look like you're thirty. Congratulations. <laughs> Well, thank you. Sorry, man. Well, we're Asian. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah. must we're be Korean. Asian. We're both Korean. You're we're both not, Korean. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not Korean. You're That's Irish. right. I'm not Asian. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Yes, According to Hollywood. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you something else about this diversity angle, okay? Hollywood loves to pat itself on the back and oh. give itself a hand job and look oh. itself in the mirror and go, you're special. You're beautiful. They are, the hypocrisy and all this I've learned through the course of having a film coming out and trying to spread awareness, right? So you, you, you have publicists, you get people out there. Hey, can we connect the dots? Can we, this is a film that is about coming of age story. It's about a fish out of water. It's about stand-up comedy. It's many things. 
And it happens to be made by a writer-director that's Asian-American. It happens to film an Asian-American lead, and it happens to have an Asian-American co-star. And it happens to have a diverse cast only because of the landscape of stand-up comedy. Exactly. Now, you take that, you give it to all these late-night talk shows, and guess how many late-night talk shows have us on to promote any one of the cast members to have us on to promote this film. And so many of them have formerly been stand-up comics or delve into the world of stand-up comedy. Zero. Zero. So the hypocrisy why, of all these that? progressive darlings that preach diversity, when this film comes out, and there's so few, few films coming out, they won't even give us the opportunity to market or help spread awareness about this film. And it's really disheartening. From Sullivan and Son... Up until this moment in time, having the second Asian-American sitcom on the air to a film written and directed by an Asian-American. When I was on Sullivan and Son, I did one late night talk show in three seasons. Jesus Christ. It was Conan and it was That's only so because nice. I was on TBS and they never had anybody else back. I had to beg J.P. Buck to get somebody back on. And then he booked Roy Wood Jr. And now look, Roy's blowing up and now I'm sure they'd have Roy on every week if they could. It's fucking crazy. It's, I'm not saying they're racist. I'm not saying no, anything. I'm just saying just, stop, well, stop preaching these values if you're not going to adhere to them. It's yeah. so hypocritical. That's exactly but right. But that's Hollywood. Hollywood is hypocrisy. We want diversity, but not of thought. No, no, definitely not of thought. That's too threatening. It's way easier to be to to virtue signal when it costs you nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's it's. I'll just sit behind my computer and tweet just shitty stuff at people. Yeah, and and just so I can be part of this group that is for diversity. And I, it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist now. Silence is violence. Yeah, we're we're, we're really. I mean, we talk about this stuff. People talk about this stuff all the time. But that's the one that that fucking infuriates me. Silence is violence. <laughs> it's like. No, maybe I maybe I just don't it's want to idea. get tribal. It's a dangerous idea. And if silence truly is violence, yeah. then you know what? I've been I've been fucking abused by audiences for years. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking true. That's kind of what I love about it all. And it is it is a diverse landscape stand up just because again, it it y y if you're funny, you get the spots. If you, yeah. you get to a point some people just become undeniable and then they they people want you on your show. I always say that to people. I always go you know, it dawned on me, like somebody asked me for advice on how to write and stand up. And I and I was, I thought about it because I was like, I don't know, dude, you know, I'll see you in 10 years. But then I thought, how do I write and how do, how do what most of us write? Because you have this really awesome monologue in there fucking about what the, the Cedric the Entertainer does, which is about pain. Yeah. And how important pain is for your expression. And I, feel, and I yeah. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I, I think the best way to write, you know, in many ways is not just... You know, you look at what makes you angry. Like oh, Bill, yeah. Burr, Bill Burr would look at what makes him angry. What what seems inconsistent, contradictory, and unfair. Mm -hmm. And he's a master at that. Yeah. But I think the other way is to ask yourself those deep personal questions. Who am I pretending to be? Who would I rather be? Yeah. How do I, how, what am I afraid of? What am I ashamed of? How, how do I want to die? How do I not want to die? What do I hope yeah. I say when I die? These, these deep questions that you have and stuff. The hardest thing to do in the world, the absolute most difficult thing to do is to say, okay, well, let, let's say I, I, I fucking hate AIDS. I, you know, I wish AIDS would be eradicated. Okay, well, how do you make that funny? Yeah. And if you, you know, my brother died of AIDS or, you know, whatever. And I want to, you know, it, it, well, if you can take that and thread the needle on that and make that funny, and that that's the fucking hardest thing to do. That's what Bill Burr does so great. Colin Quinn, Jim Norton, et cetera. Taking like truly painful, crazy, wacky things and like that are so deeply like 
it, it, it frustrated them. It irritated them. It bothered them to the point that like, I got to talk about this. And these things most of the time are not that relatable. Like Jim Norton, none of that's relatable. No. Getting blown by a train or whatever. But it's he's so like, honest that we just watch so it. So honest. We watch it because he taps into, you know, there's that, there's a book called the bipolar ape. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the theme is that human beings are, and Jordan Peterson talks about this too, and he helps soldiers with PTSD who have done really terrible things in war. And he kind of explains that there are, there's a side to a human being that's capable of incredible and shocking cruelty and destruction. Sure. And enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And he always, he always tells the students, you, it's important to recognize that you could be a Nazi, a sadistic Nazi prison guard and enjoy it. Right. But you're also capable of incredible beauty and, and create creativity and so when human beings sort of capture this entire to understand that that's the entire spectrum of a human being right and and to kind of in and actors do this too you to to indulge i had mean, one time this guy was playing um, hitler in in a scene in acting class and he had this judgment on hitler the teacher said you have a judgment on hitler he's evil right and the guy was like yeah yeah i'm jewish so i wanted to play hitler and it's like well that's fine dude but i i don't believe you're hitler mm-hmm Hitler didn't think it was an evil. You know what Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot, you know what they thought? You know how you play those characters? And the guy was like, why, how? And he goes, Hitler was just trying to solve a problem. Right. Stalin was trying to solve a problem. Right. Pol Pot, Genghis Khan, they were trying to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Now, part of the solution to that problem is that there are some people that are irredeemable. Right. I can't change them, they're already adults. And they got kids that are in the way and that gets too messy with orphanages. Well, that's why every time so we'll I do accounting, every time I do accounting, those are math problems. I, I, I'm just like, I fucking hate the Jews. Well, there you go, Steve, this is not going well. <laughs> is that what this you is mean? Not, no, that's that, not what oh, I mean. Shit. Can we take that's that not, Well, <laughs> Jews, I got it wrong. Jews now, Jewish yeah. men, I would say, are now have been conflated with straight white males. So they're privileged. So, 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 right, so Jewish yeah. men, but if you look at the history of the Jews, you know, it's only 30 or 40 years since the Jews have been left alone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but, but I mean, it's the height of offense for many Jews, and it should be, if you understand history, to conflate white Jewish men, even though there are a lot of very successful white Jews with no money, but sure. to conflate them with white privilege or with straight white men, because that is, that's, just pick up a history book. Yeah. Please read that and then come back to me and say that with a straight face. Yeah. You, you know, again, so much of this orthodoxy and this ideology that we're hearing about is not informed. It's just fucking not. It's emotional it's, it's is what it is. It's pseudoscience new shit that academics who've never lived in the real fucking world, they, they just haven't come up with. The woman, Peggy McIntosh, who came up with the, the fucking the thing on white privilege, mm-hmm. uh, she came from a very wealthy family. And sure. then she's been in academia her whole life, married to a Harvard PhD. She's never been outside those walls. So yeah. when she talks about being privileged and white, she's like, I can move anywhere. I can buy any house I want. Well, most white people can. That's honey. right, yeah. Most white people are dealing with an opioid addiction in their family. They've I mean, got $300 in the rest the, belt. The cool thing about being a stand-up comic is that when you, we, we travel so much yeah. and we, we are in contact with real fucking people. Yeah. We are in contact with real people that work for a living. And yeah. I, that, that's the cool thing about going to places like Oklahoma or Kansas or wherever it might be. And you start to realize that they have just as much on the ball or more than the people, the elites on the fucking coast. You okay. really start to believe that. You know, Sam Harris, to his credit, who's a public intellectual and has a podcast and, and he's, he always interviews the smartest people and they're always trying to solve the world's problems and he's an, and a new atheist. But he admitted, he said, it dawned on me in my phone book 
that I are in my phone. I look through all the people I know. I don't have anyone in my phone who smokes right. or works with their hands. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. You know, you 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 find yourself if you're if you're uh, one of the elites in in journalism or in in academia or mm -hmm. even in banking, whatever it was. You came from a pipeline where you don't come into contact right. with real Americans yeah. who listen to sports radio or who work as a nurse three shifts, whatever the fuck it is. You just don't. Those aren't your friends. You don't know those people. And you, yeah. you, you are going to then pathologize their behavior. You are going to go, well... I'm gonna. Can I get a single? Is this single source roast coffee? Is it? But is it shade grown? Because I need. To, is, do you have a picture of the farmer? Because I believe in. I believe in humane coffee. Thanks. Uh, I'll, I'll have that. And um, do you have, uh, have gluten-free? These gluten-free muffins. Oh, that's so awesome. Thank yeah. you. I'll have a gluten-free muffin too. Oh, they're great. And and oh, but 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 um, but let me um, let me get uh, let me talk about equality now. Let me talk about social <laughs> right, yeah. justice. You don't know the first fuck. You don't know anybody who 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 has to worry about their rent. Yeah. You just don't. You don't know anybody with calluses on their hands. So what the fuck should I be listening to you for? And why why should Americans like the people that we perform for trust you? You don't know what they're going through. No. They all live in a bubble. I, I mean, most of them. And for them to bestow knowledge and bestow how, you know, a lot of the comics that are relevant presently, that are popular on social media, that are telling people to get out and vote and et cetera, et cetera. They're the ones that went to Ivy League schools. Yeah. These are the ones that if you just lift the rocks and, and look at the worms and insects underneath and, and see what's going on underneath, it's like they never fucking fought tooth and nail. Like I, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I've had a blue collar mentality. I've earned everything I've ever gotten in my life. I don't have white privilege. I don't have Asian privilege. I'm just a kid that got his teeth kicked in from the day he got on stage to, to, to today. I'm a witness to and it. I saw it. I'm telling you, when you get to that after party, the whiskey tastes a lot sweeter when you got some dirt underneath your fingernails. Look at Sebastian Maniscalco. Sebastian, Sebastian was a waiter for nine years. At, at the, the Four, four seasons, seasons, coming back and forth, doing sets a at waiter. the store. For, for in nine his, years. In his waiter uniform. Yes, that motherfucker. Dressed up in a tuxedo. Never missed a beat. Never missed a beat. Worked his ass off. We knew him Kreischer. forever. And then, Kreischer, same thing. These people. All of us. Yeah. All of us, really. Yeah. Except for the ones I come from that went to money, Ivy League schools that Hollywood sees and goes, oh, so-and-so went to Harvard. Oh, so-and-so went to XYZ. And that's on the resume. You're in the writer's room. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Anybody else, it's like, I don't know, there's just this fucking condescension to anybody else that, that I just don't get. Like, you look at, you look, here's the thing. Okay, um, Carrot Top, right? Carrot Top's the fucking, one of the fucking most talented comics. I agree with you. Vegas headliner, one of the nicest human beings. I don't know. I went to a show crying, literally tears crying, okay? I, dude, I saw, I can't believe you're saying this. And then there's the alt so scene that shits on him for years. Like when when I first moved to LA, it was it was it was almost hacked to make fun of Carrot Top, but so many alt comics were doing it. But the alt comics will give Hollywood hand jobs to all these comics that like you sit back and go, oh, that's funny, but you don't laugh. But Carrot Top, you're fucking crying laughing, yeah, <laughs> and that's the perfect example. Anthony Bourdain, Guy Fieri. Why do the coastal elites anoint somebody fucking hip and cool? You know, but then the people that are broad get cast out of the picture. But you got to become undeniable. And that's why you look at guys like the Impractical Jokers. These guys have grinded for fucking years. 
They are doing arenas. Yeah. They should be on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yep. They should be on the uh, getting the acknowledgement yep. from the Hollywood elites. No, but dude, they're too popular because they're they're because America and the average American mm -hmm. likes them. So they can't be. They can't be. Uh, uh, the thing about they, uh, we've been dealing with this. I've been dealing with this for twenty five years. Yep. The all comics who can't sell tickets. Some of them are really funny. I, I, True, yeah. Some of them are great, but for the most part, when you kind of track the career and you track what they've done, a lot of times, you know, I'm I can I know what's funny, and yeah, there's a reason that they're still all comics. Yeah, and there's even a reason single that still cams performing to super exclusive audiences, <laughs> which are true. people to their purified echo chamber. Get up in front of a bunch of working class motherfuckers in Pittsburgh. And do that shit and see how. Well, far that's you the go. difference. That's the difference. It's easy to go on Bill Maher, and when you're wearing a Yankee uniform, to to hit and get on base in Yankee Stadium. But the minute you put on that Red Sox uniform, can you play outside? Can you be a visitor? Yeah. That's the ultimate question. And when you're a comic, when you're a road comic, you've done it all. I had a conversation with a New York comic uh, before the pandemic. She was saying all white people are racist. It was a young girl. White, obviously, you know, you white, could picture course, what she looks like, white. and all white people more are more emotional like, about it than the people going through. You know, yeah, yeah I, I, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's a ridiculous statement to to say. She's like, well, all pe white it's people are racist. It's what she was told. I go, are you racist? She goes, well, no. I go, well, case closed. It's like shut the fuck up. It, it's crazy the hypocrisy. I think especially once people leave their bubbles all across Bible Belt, Rust Belt, by you know all over the Midwest, and you come to these hubs, and then you get indoctrinated with 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 what we should be doing. It's like, no, no, I just don't, I never drank the Kool-Aid. I will not jump on board the wagon train because smoke this, everybody else is, no, fuck that. Well, my, my larger question is, so, so let's say you say that we are systemically racist or that most people are, white people are racist. Mm -hmm. What am I supposed to do with that information? What am I supposed to do with it for myself? What do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to uh, give my place up to someone? Am I supposed to, you know, it's like Dinesh D'Souza said that to this kid in college who was, you know, this white kid who was talking mm -hmm. about how we live in a systemically racist, you know, then this institution is racist. And he said, well, when Dinesh D'Souza is in, from India. Right. And uh, he said, well, why don't you go to the registrar's office right now and give your place up to the minority waiting to get in? Yeah. Why don't you do that, young man? Mm -hmm. Why don't you put your fucking own skin in the game? Yeah. But no. No, that's that would require a cost. That that's would require, that's what it is. I'd have to pay a price, but not my, me for my ideology. Not me. That's what it always comes down to. Well, them, but not me. Yeah. Well, uh, some of this should, might be me. just young people. I hope some of this is just the fire of young, naive people who have not been in the real world yet. Yeah. And also, it's also unfortunately they're not learning about the real world in college. They're just not. Uh, there, there are a lot of courses where you're just not learning. You're not, well, you're not exposed. allowed to. You're, you're not allowed not to have those. You're not allowed to have those speakers come to your campus. And when colleges are that expensive, mm -hmm. when when it costs you a hundred thousand dollars a year to go to college, who do you think you're going to be around? What kids are you going to be around? Of course. Uh, so you know, um, I think we solved a lot of the world's problems. Here. We definitely did it. Well, let's run. Uh, <laughs> but the but the movie, an the opening movie, act, the opening act, yeah. It but but brought me back to and made me proud that I'm a comic. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, and it was, it was, it was, you know, you, you're somebody who's one of my dearest friends, so you always worry when you're going to watch a movie. If it's bad, I'm going to still have to lie to you. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. It's, I'm going to still lie to you. But well, the good such, news is when I, I said to my girlfriend, I go, it's a fucking good movie. 
I go, I'm just, it's such a pleasure to be able to tell Steve that he did great. Cause that's so hard. What you pulled off is so fucking hard. It's so hard. I learned it's pretty fucking hard. I mean, to do it d- from d- pre to just casting it, to getting people to commit, post, yeah, writing, but also just getting it done. What did that cost? Uh, two and a half million. That was the budget, and I I will tell everybody, bold face the camera is my first. It literally was my first radio. I think I made a very good film, but I know for a fact I made the fucking best film about stand up comedy, and I will go to the grave with that. It is the I fucking so best film about stand up. It's comedy. real. It's it's. it's that's that's it's the only movie I've ever seen that gets what stand-up comedy on the road is actually like. Yeah, or, when or you what said, it's like to start. Angela Johnson said the same thing to me. She said, I, I'm so proud to be a comic in, in this club. Uh, and that was like, again, there, there have been things that comics have said to me that have been in it or like close friends like yourself that have seen it that, you know, it's like when you do something like this, it's not even like you cross the finish line after a marathon and you celebrate and you get the trophy and confetti comes down. It's like, you just want to collapse. It's relief. It's like, 100%. fuck, thank God it's out there. And from what I've heard from the interviews I've done from, you know, comedy podcasts and film podcasts, it's like, it seems like people are enjoying the film and there's like a relief to it all. It's just like, you, you want to hug, want to hug my wife and go, Thanks for being patient with me for four years. Yeah. Thanks for putting up with me because I've been a pain in the ass and I put you through the fucking ringer. But I think it was all worth it. So thank you. And I just want to, just want to hug her. Yeah. And I, I got a little emotional on Kreischer's thing because I, I, this is one of those ego things, I guess. But when it got greenlit and I knew I was doing it, I got a tuxedo. Like I, I paid a tailor to come over to my house and make a nice tuxedo for me. And I got my wife a really nice dress. And I said, honey, when this film comes out, I'm going to take you out. Thanks for being patient with me. And of course, COVID hits and, you know, the, they're going to stay in the closet. God damn and we're going to go to a drive-in, a <laughs> shitty drive-in and eat popcorn. But that's me, though. Yeah. Like, I, I'd rather have a film premiere like Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Right. Because I'm fucking Rust Belt. It's like, <laughs> let's get a six-pack of beer, pop open the back of the SUV, and just watch this with everybody else in some shitty drive-in. And... It's like there's I don't know, a romanticism. Man. I think those are important. I think those are important because, in a way, I think a big secret to being a performer, uh, being a podcaster, is knowing in your heart you're not better than your audience. Never. And and I, I really the one thing I know is that I'm I don't you know I've had some success. Mm-hmm. I've had a recent crazy you know uh, that a lot of that's been obliterated. But I've had a lot of success, and and um, I never felt like I was better than anybody. And I and I and I I know Rogan feels that way. I said that to him once. I said, I think your secret is that you truly don't feel better than your audience. And he goes, I don't. Yeah. And I and, and it's true. And I, I don't think you do either. And no. I know Bill Burr doesn't. My biggest that's a pet really peeve, important thing. Too. Biggest pet peeve in comedy, and I, I, I'm sure you'll agree with me, is that um, I'm the best. Is that yes. no? I'm joking. I'm <laughs> yes, far from are. it. But but comics that get off stage and go, that audience sucked. It's like, no, you fucking sucked. You sucked. It's Correct. your job Correct. to be the professional and you got to know to cut the blue wire, red wire, or white wire. You got to figure it out. Every audience is an algorithm and you got to solve it. And if you can't, after 10 or 15 years in this business, get the fuck out. Who are your favorite comics? Who are the ones that really make you laugh? Okay, here I, I've said this multiple times on radio stations when I've toured and I'll say it to my, <laughs> to my dying day. You fucking make me laugh harder. Did you hear this? Than, I swear I didn't set up. And then 90% of comedians, I'm not saying it because I'm here. I've said this. There are really? multiple radio stations true? across the country. I didn't expect this, this. I was waiting for Bill Burr's. It's very nice. No, I'm telling you that there was one night at the comedy store. It was one of those magical nights where everybody was there. 
and we're all in the back parking lot. We're all bullshitting, and it's a it's it's a murderer's row, and we're all just kind of bullshitting. You fucking walk up with a swagger, <laughs> and you just fucking take over. And dude, we were fucking lying or, or dying laughing for fifteen fucking minutes. Just you, look at this strat. Like you're complimenting my bone structure. I mean, everybody, you just went down the line, hitting everybody with your greatest hits. We had heard these bits before, but it was that night where you have a bunch of alpha comics. Yeah. And then the alpha comes up and puts everybody in the place. And we all became betas just watching you and fucking enjoying it. It was one of those nights where I was like, I will remember this to my dying day. You just, you have a charm, a sophistication, and positivity and that's why i know you made reference to your situation there's a lot more people that love you than the 24 hour people vultures that will jump online and vindicate and then move on to the next flesh and red meat but there's people like myself out there that believe in due process that believe in innocent until proven guilty and believe in the character and if there's one thing is i one thing i could communicate to the audience listening is that, and I'm not saying this, you know, because I'm on here, but when all that shit about Louis broke, there were rumors for years that comics had heard about this. It, it was like, yeah, I heard about it. So when some cluck in Indiana is going, what? This is fucking crazy. It's like, well, we heard about it. When Ellen broke, rumors of Ellen being maybe not so kind were persistent in the comedy community for years. And somebody in Ohio is going, that's fucking nuts. I didn't see that. But when this shit broke, it's like there isn't a comic that works at the comedy store. There's a professional paid regular that knows the landscape of it all. I've never once, never once heard anything violent or criminal or or or, or these things that you and Delia are being accused of and some others. I've just never heard about. It. And until I'm proven wrong in a court of law, I will stand by my friends. That's just how I feel. I appreciate and that. I, uh, I love you and I love Chris and you know, I wasn't in the room. I don't know what happened, but again, until I'm proven wrong in a court of law. And I think if those things truly happen, why not go the criminal route instead of hearsay and putting things out there in the ether. And I just think the court of public opinion, it's dangerous. It is very it's, dangerous. It's, 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 so. it's part of it is good if you see. I don't mean to bring this up. No, either, I, I, but no, I appreciate, you brought something I up, and as a friend, I want to just stand in front of you and I, be I, Kevin Costner and you know, my Whitney Houston here and go, no, that's not the guy I know. Yeah. That's and, not uh, the guy the, I know. The, the people that know me and all the comics and stuff that have reached out, that's one of the blessings of this is where you just, you get overwhelmed with the amount of support and love because people have known you for so long, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess you just have, for me, it's just, I, I only look at it as something that happened to me for a reason. Like it happened for me, not mm-hmm. to me. Um, and y- the only thing I can do is try to come out of it a better person in the best way I can. Yeah. You, you can sit there and lament. It'd be like saying, well, I'm in a wheelchair. What was me? Or I have a brain tumor. It can be much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, it sucks. It sucks. But, um, but I, I, I just take it as an opportunity to see what I'm made of. And keep moving, but I know who I am, and most importantly, my friends know who I am. My family right. knows who I am. So that's all I got. So I know who you are. And all I you love got. you. Thank you, buddy. I love you too. Yeah. Thank you. I thank you. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> yeah, I really could. But no, I, I appreciate know. it though. I, I really do. It'd be funny if we started kissing. But, but and, and that's something I think we should talk about. I'm a gay man. I'm a gay man. Steve and I have. Had Let a, me hold on to that flipper. Just, I'm going to enjoy the ride, buddy. Come on, get out of the spirit of a dolphin. Um, I thank you for that, man. Um, but uh, but the movie. 
an opening act. The opening you're act. You're doing yes. you're doing a whole press tour today. Yeah, I got to zip out of here as soon yeah. as it's over, and I got a I got a ton more, and then all next week I got a, a lot more, and it comes out Friday the sixteenth, and people can order it now, and uh, I just hope people enjoy it. I really do. Only if you like to laugh and you like to be moved, because it was actually moving and it had life lessons in it, and uh, and so watch it. It's called the opening act. Steve Byrne, and um, uh, I guess uh, I mean get ready for Everybody. the Bropra effect because this Patreon, this podcast is about to blow you. Sky high. Yeah. Let me let me ask That's you a question. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you a question. Okay. You did a movie. You made a movie. I'm promoting it on this podcast. You ready for you ready <laughs> for you the ready influx? To, well, you ready to break the sound barrier? Are you strapped in? You I about got my shades so no one can recognize me. <laughs> That's all. I'm yeah, go incognito. Yeah, you might want to buy a hat. Oh, the and a effect, fake nose. Yeah, yeah, because because you're about to get mobbed, dude. <laughs> you're welcome for massive stardom. Thank you're, you for the welcome. Yeah. Well, that's what I do. Uh, there's very few slots available here, and I'm like, you know what? Let's get this guy up in the stratosphere. <laughs> Not out of space yet. That's right. Yeah. That's your second movie. <laughs> okay. But you're in the stratosphere right thank now. Thank you very Not much. Not ready for out of space. Not ready for out of space. Not ready yet. Yeah. No. No. But I hope you have your feet firmly grounded in the air because <laughs> we're in the stratosphere. Yeah. So I'm really good with metaphors, you guys know. Um, you know, I'm doing the Bookless Book Club. It's yes. dropping soon. Uh, I take books. I break them down. I make them funny. Mm -hmm. You laugh and you learn. You don't have to read the book because I read it for you, but buy the book, put it on your shelf, because that counts. Very and now nice. people go, did you read that book? And then you go, yeah. Can you're I? not lying, because Brian broke it down for you. That's right, yeah. yeah. The Quran. You read it. The Quran? Yeah. <laughs> you got to say it properly. The Quran? When we did the USO tour, every time we went somewhere, I'm like, you know, we, we'd be at the airport or something, and people people are like, oh, where are you guys going? I'm going to Afghanistan. You're like, Afghanistan. Afghanistan. <laughs> you can always correct me. Afghanistan. <laughs> Iran, Afghanistan. Don't say Iran. You fucking Pittsburgh white boy. I felt like, you know, like a Chicago. Oh, honey, they got a Bubba Gumps over here. You know, it's like, no, no, no. no, no, no. Let's immerse ourselves in the culture. Yeah. It's like Leo Flowers, my, my dear friend, is a comic, went to Pakistan. And uh, I said, how was it? He goes, best food I've ever had and the best fucking ice cream. I was like, what? He goes, countryside, they get that ice cream from the cows right there. It's the best fucking ice cream I ever had. I was like, Pakistan, home of ice cream. There are, <clears throat> I want to start traveling all over the world and doing stand-up, maybe. Yeah. Because there are some, you, you, will, you will be exposed to some beauty that you didn't expect in places you have a judgment on. Oh, yeah. India, Pakistan, those places, parts of the Middle East that we all think are whatever, that we have something on. Again, you travel the world, you're exposed to, especially when you do those USO tours, and you see people that, are, that have fucking nothing. Fucking Zero. nothing and are happy, and are smiling, and there's kids playing soccer in bare feet with rocks on the ground. I think it was Mother Teresa who said, like, the, the, she'd never seen poverty like she had in the United States. And they said, what do you mean? She said, spiritual poverty. You have all this stuff, mm -hmm. and you're lost. You are yeah. the American lost. You don't have anything you're connected to. You don't even have fathers. You don't have family. Yeah. And in India, you'd see people starving on the street, but the whole family is together on the street. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's a good way to live, but it's an interesting distinction that she was drawing where she said, I've never seen such poverty as I have in the United States. I think like, Fuck, once I got married and especially when I had kids, I felt much more fulfilled than I ever did on a Tonight Show set or an hour special. And I'll never forget, just before the pandemic hit, 
the last week I worked, my daughter turned eight and is at the age now where she knows daddy's leaving. My son's five at four, four at the time and not really there yet. And she was just crying, like, don't go on the road. Aww. I'm so sick of this is, you know, and I'm, I'm pulling out of the driveway and I see her in the window. She's waving at me and just crying. And I just want to throw the car in park and run and go, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay home. And of course you got to keep the lights on, right? So I left. And you put my reel in for her to watch. I put, I go, this is how a real man does it. Yeah. Yeah. So then I go on the road, I come back, pandemic hits, right? We're quarantined. And I'm like, this is fucking great. I'm home with my family. Three months in, I'm like, what fucking fountain did you throw a coin in? to ripple the universe and keep your dad at home because you've ruined the global economy. So let's figure out what the fuck you did, kid. How, um, how, how are you doing at home? Are you dying to get back on the road? I got to tell you, I love being home. Yeah. I, I'm one and of those comics. I'm, I'm gonna be go to, going to Nashville soon, but I'm not one of those comics that's like, I'm just a fucking Jones and get, I'm like, eh, it'll mm. come back. And when it comes back, I'm ready. Mm. I'm enjoying this moment in time. I really do. How old are your kids? Uh, eight and five. And you named one Brian, the other one Callan, right? <laughs> that's so right. Nice. That's right. Thank you so much. Steve Byrne, you're one of my favorites. And I can't when when I'm in bed with my wife and on anniversaries when we make love, yeah. missionary, meat and potatoes, calls, you know me. She calls you Brian Callen. She calls me Brian Callen. Yeah. I go, that's the only one you can, yeah. Yeah, what you should do is you should have my voice in this tone sort of like piping in and just going, there it is, Steve. You got this. You got this, brother. You got this. And then you've earned. You've earned. <laughs> you earned this moment. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Stay then, hydrated, Stephen. That's right. God Make sure you she stays hydrated bless too. Bless America, home <laughs> of the free. That's right. that's and I just actually anthem plays. Yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> oh, say, can you see? <laughs> You have a button for when you're about to climax. <laughs> Brian's going to sing us home. <laughs> By the dawn's early light, oh, so proudly we hail. Uh-huh. I don't know the rest of the fuck. I don't even know the words to my own fucking country's uh, national well, well, you used to, you gave me one of, uh, I, I had this closing bit about a guy ejaculating and then you used to just say it in passing. Like that's how you just throw things out there. You and Vince Vaughn are two people that just say things. I'm like, write that down. That's fucking great. And you were like pretending to come. You're like, oh my God, Hawaii, Hawaii. Map of Hawaii. Hawaii map of Hawaii. And I thought it was one of the funniest things. And I was doing this bit and I was like, oh, that, that could work there. And I was like, Brian, do you mind if I, you're like, fuck yeah, of course. Yeah. And <laughs> the reason I didn't write that down might've been because I think Dove said that first. Oh really? I think that's Dove Davidoff's joke. Well, but I you mean, know what? I'm splitting it hairs here. mine too. I'm splitting hairs. So I'm going to take it. Fuck it. It's not Dove's. It's mine. Keep going. That's right. Yeah. Keep going with the story. <laughs> you're the best. Yeah. Thanks. I am. No, I'm not. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Dude, it's exactly 12.01. I love you. I love you too. You're the best. Truly do. And uh, the movie is uh, an opening opening act. act. The opening act. Watch it or die. (laughs) That's right.